0: We are wrapping up a series that we've been in for the last several weeks, so if you've been with us kind of through the Christmas season and have been walking through what is commonly uh, recognized as Advent, you've been in in this series with us, and our sermon series has been called, "'Come, Lord Jesus.'" And the focus has been on Advent. And we talked a little bit about what that word is and what that means. Advent is a Latin word that means to prepare for an arrival. Traditionally, it's celebrated over the four Christmases prior to, uh, or the four Sundays, sorry, prior to Christmas. If Anybody get four Christmases this year? That would have been awesome. But the four Sundays prior to Christmas, you get to, to walk through that. And typically it focuses on love, joy, peace, and hope. And so we've been doing that as a family in preparing for Jesus' arrival to celebrate his birth. And typically that is the way that Advent is understood and most appropriately focused upon. But there is a second Advent in Scripture. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. But the idea of an arrival to be preparing for, there's a second one that is noted in scripture and it's with our eyes focused on that that we're going to close out this series. And so up to this point, we've been looking back at the birth of Jesus. We've been looking back at that significance and then how to prepare our hearts to receive him in our daily lives and how to allow that to make an impact. But now we're going to begin to shift our eyes forward For a second advent that is to come. So with your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Revelation. If you're wondering where that is in your scripture, it's at the very end of the book. Maybe you're familiar uh, with your Bible and kind of the books of the Bible and that construct. But the very last book in the Bible is Revelation. It's an apocalyptic book. uh, book that is heavily focused on prophecy and the 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 scope and the focus is kind of the end of the age. Uh, the apostle John is writing on this while he is in exile and it is something that is revealed to him by the Spirit of God and it gives insight and gives uh, prophetic insight into what would happen at the end of the age and as you walk through it it's a it's a it's a wild book full of all kinds of metaphor and imagery and there's any number of theological and academic approaches to try to understand it and there's you can find books you can find series there's all kinds of resources on that because it is something that is challenging and difficult to kind of get into a a way for us to just understand it in an applicable way but when you get to the end of the book the very last chapter is chapter 22, and as chapter 22 begins to unfold, there is this picture of the river of life coming from the throne of God. And in many ways, it is a restoration of Eden. It's everything that went wrong is now going to be put right, and things are going to be as they were first intended at creation, and there's this picture of that restoration and that redemption, that reconciliation, and things being made right? And then the chapter shifts to the second advent. It shifts to this idea of Jesus's arrival, but rather than, as we've walked through in preparation for Christmas, the idea of Jesus's arrival, his incarnation, the birth of Christ in human history, and the beginning of the age of the kingdom of God in human history, now there is this anticipation on Jesus's return or his second coming, And it's in that place as Revelation chapter 2 is wrapping all the way up, it's giving us a perspective of how we are to anticipate or to think about or to prepare for that type of an event. So just as we spent the last several weeks, how do I prepare myself to receive the hope of Jesus? How do I prepare myself to receive the peace of Jesus into my daily life? How do I prepare myself to to receive his joy and to walk in that and to receive his love and to respond to that, the book of Revelation closes with, how am I to prepare myself for Jesus's return? And in verse 12 of Revelation chapter 22, we're going to look at a couple verses here together as we frame out this lens for this morning. Jesus is speaking and he says this, look, I am coming soon. Now, some of you are like, not soon enough, Jesus, right? Like yesterday would have been great, right? There's this anticipation sometimes when we look at the world around us or when we look at maybe some of the challenges that we're going uh, on in our life. Sometimes when we're dealing with health issues in our body, it's just like, Jesus, just come and like, let's just be done with kind of all of this nonsense. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I think that we've all been there on occasion. But Jesus says, look, I am coming soon. My reward is with me and I will give to each person according to what they have done. I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Hey guys, it's all about me and I'm in charge and I got this and I am coming soon. And when you move on to verse 16, Jesus again is speaking here and he says, I, Jesus has sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. There's this invitation to come and to receive new life from Jesus. And in doing so, then to anticipate his arrival. And there's a couple things in that verse that get highlighted. The idea that the spirit, speaking of the Holy Spirit, says, come. If you're familiar with John fourteen, fifteen, and 16 and the way that the Holy Spirit is at work in the world and in the church and in you and in I, he is preparing us for that and he is advancing the kingdom of God in and through us. The, the picture of the... Holy Spirit in those chapters is that he's the spirit of truth, that he is the one who speaks uh, the words of God to his people, that he convinces us or convicts us of what is true and what needs to change, invites transformation, that the spirit of God testifies about who Jesus is, and there's this anticipation, Jesus come again. And then the bride that is mentioned here, that's the metaphor that's used for you and I, that's the church. Uh, there is a metaphor that's used all through uh, the New Testament, the idea that Jesus is the coming bridegroom and that the church is the bride waiting in anticipation and prepared for that event. And so Jesus is speaking, hey, uh, I am coming, I'm the root, I am the first and the last, I'm the morning star, and John's framing out this anticipation by, in the Spirit of God and in the church of Jesus to say, hey, come, 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 there's an anticipation, An advent, a preparation for arrival. And then the very last verses in the whole book, verse 20 and 21, reads this way. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. So Jesus again saying, hey, I've told you all of this. I'm coming soon. And then you have John's response, the writer of this book. Amen, come Lord Jesus. And then there's this closing benediction The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people, amen. So if you were to read your Bible from front to back, if you were going to close out kind of a a reading through scripture in a year, the very last thing that you would read, the very last thing that closes out the word of God to his people, frames out this expectation that Jesus is coming back, and oh man, I should desire that. And in the waiting, I get to experience his grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people, amen. And I don't know if you've ever thought about Jesus's return. I don't know if you've ever thought about Jesus coming again, right? We just, we, we have an advent that we celebrate over a whole month where we anticipate Jesus's birthday, right, his, his arrival, his incarnation. It's appropriate, it's, it's important, uh, it's something that in many ways uh, reroots us in him as our foundation. But as Revelation closes out, there's this invitation for us to think about his return. And that idea, Jesus' return, like the second advent, preparing for Jesus to come again, is, is met with a variety of different responses, Variety of different responses, some of them really helpful and healthy. Some of them are as wacky as you could even uh, make up on your own, right? And maybe you've bumped into some of those things. There's a whole evangelical movement, uh, and by evangelical, I mean to evangelize the world. There's a whole missions movement that is built off of this idea, that Jesus is coming back now, Jesus is coming back soon, so we need to tell as many people as we can, as possible, to invite them to salvation. I would say that that's a a good response to the thought of Jesus returning. There was a whole movement in church history that was called the holiness movement. And in many ways it it was framed with an expectation of Jesus's return, that Jesus is coming for his pure and spotless bride. And so there was a whole move in church history where people were repenting of sin, where they were saying no and abstaining from all kinds of, of extra things in their lives because they wanted to be pure and holy before the Lord when he returned. And, and that can be a very healthy and favorable type of response. There's all kinds of other weird stuff that has happened just even in my own lifetime that this idea of Jesus' return gives way to a lot of like Uh, pop-up cultish type of ideas. Uh, And you may think of of, of maybe things that have gone on in Texas or California or in other nations where a prominent person who has a little bit of charisma is like, surprise, I'm Jesus. And you never even knew it. And you're like, I didn't know that Jesus was going to live over there or he was going to do that or that Jesus was going to need so much of my money to come in through the mail. Like that's surprising to me since it didn't seem to be something that he did in any of those early gospels. But I guess he's coming of age and, and changing with the times. Like there's all kinds of wild ideas that come up from that. In fact, uh, there, there's a, a popular cult that is over uh, in one of the uh, Eastern, um, Eastern Asian nations where the leader of that church is is propagating that he is Jesus who has returned. And his wife is the Holy Spirit, just so that you know. The, the, the idea of Jesus' return gives way to all kinds of different types of responses. Some people get really afraid They think about like end times and it's going to be really, it's going to get bad. And so I'm going to hunker down in my basement or I'm going to, you know, stockpile ammunition or I got to somehow figure out a way to like preserve myself. If the world gets that bad, maybe you just want to go to heaven. I don't know. Like maybe think this through a little bit. There's apocalyptic doomsday prophecy type of stuff that comes up. There's, there's all manner of responses. Some of us, we don't, we don't want to think about it. We want to keep our nose down and we just want to live our lives and we're hoping that Jesus comes back after we're dead, right? That's usually a young person's approach because you feel like you got your whole life in front of you. If you're older and you feel like, you know, death's knocking at the door, you're like, Jesus, come back. Like, I feel like he's right outside. Like, let's go. Like, there's we, we can get wrapped up in all kinds of different motivation for our thoughts. And even some of the earlier things, good things like the holiness movement that that got hijacked by a lot of fearful responses a lot of judgmentalism and even a missions movement can be something that is motivated by I just want to hurry up and get Jesus here so I can get out of here and not as much caring about the individual and them coming to salvation those things can be hijacked by fear they can be hijacked by fear and what I want to do this morning is I want to give us a lens to look at and to anticipate Jesus' return that is not somehow influenced by fear, that is not somehow hijacked by our own emotions or motivations, but is something that is, is just simply rooted in some of the things that Jesus said would be helpful for us. So that is with the same type of anticipation, the same type of preparation that you had for Christmas, to celebrate Jesus, to celebrate God with us, that you would have that type of joy, that type of life-giving perspective when it comes to thinking about Jesus's return. If you have your Bible, go ahead and get that out. You should already have it, um, because we already looked at a few, but if you're late to the party, go ahead and get that out. Lord, we ask that you would settle our hearts this morning And that as your word describes it, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that there would be an openness in our hearts to receive what you would speak to us through your word. And Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, a right lens to anticipate your return so that we would be people of joy. Lord, that we'd be people of life and anticipation, that we would be people busy about the things of the kingdom of God, and that we would be useful in this time of waiting even as we anticipate and prepare for your arrival. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The question that a lot of times comes up when you start talking about this Okay, so whether you are teaching a seminary class or you're doing something in theology or whether you're kind of walking through kind of human history timelines or looking at socioeconomics, whenever there's kind of this idea of like the end is near type of a thing or Jesus' return is imminent, we almost always start with the same question. We want to know when's that going to happen, right? It's how much time do I still have to either get right or how much time do I still have to like do the things that I want to do? Like there's all kinds of motivations behind that question. But our curiosity is almost always like when is this going to happen? And I just want to give you this perspective. That's not a new question. That's the question Jesus' own disciples asked him. And that's where we're going to begin. We're going to begin with that. In Matthew chapter 24... And we're going to be pulling some things out of Matthew chapter 24 and 25. I do not have the time to go deep on any of this stuff or to unpack whole large portions of these two chapters just because of our time frame for this morning and the scope of the information that I want to present to you. And so I want to encourage you to read those on your own if you would like to go a little bit deeper or if you want to kind of focus in on one or a few of these different points. But in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus is leaving the temple where he has been kind of in a, in a place of, of public ministry and he's been kind of speaking and challenging kind of the religious systems there. And he removes himself from there Uh, and begins uh, to move towards the Mount of Olives, a place where he would kind of retreat to and hang out with his disciples in kind of a quieter type of a setting. And so he moves to that place, and it's in that context that verse 3 is spoken. Matthew chapter 24, verse 3, as Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Okay, so Jesus is in this setting, his disciples, those, those, those closest to him are uh, in attendance there, and they come to him, and here's the question. Tell us, they said, when will this happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And so you know this is something that is looking forward to, because they're asking about Jesus' coming, but he's right there already, right? They've already recognized that of kind of who he is. They're getting a gist of what he's going to do, but they recognize that there is a kind of a coming in power, kind of a culmination of the, the breaking forth of the kingdom of God in a new and a different way, and that this is going to coincide with a change of age, that there's going to be a closing of an age and kind of this new uh, kingdom age, the kingdom of God, where Jesus is going to be coming with power and, and demonstrating and ruling and leading the kingdom of God in a very tangible and very uh, uh, um, uh, uh, practical way, like right in their midst. And so they're, they're thinking about the future. They're thinking about the end of the age and the age to come. It's the same type of conversation that we began with this morning. And here's the two questions that they ask, and these are almost always the questions that we start with as well. When will this happen and how are we going to know it happened, right? When will this happen, and how are we going to know when it happens? And what's really interesting is as you read Jesus' response, he answers those questions kind of. It's very, very vague. In fact, it's the reason why you'll have some people who begin to kind of go deep on this, and you'll come out with all of these different varied perspectives and answers on it. You can find theologians through church history, you can find present-day pastors and people who are prophetic voices that would have all kind of little nuanced ideas of <coughs> what comes after in these several chapters because it is pretty vague. And so there's a lot of like guessing and a lot of like trying to fill in the blanks, our best scenario as we would understand it. And Jesus answers in in a pretty vague way, but one of the things that he answers very directly is a question that they didn't ask. They asked the question, when is this going to happen, and how are we going to know? And Jesus answers that vaguely. They didn't ask the question, how should we live our lives in light of that? And Jesus answers that question directly. The concern and the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples here is less about the timeline in human history and the details of how it's going to go down and more directly to the point of, I'm going to return and this will happen. And in light of that truth, this is how you should live your life in preparation for it. It's very practical, very mu- much a day to day and in and out. How am I going to live my life? Unless do I have the secrets of the universe? And the way that Jesus begins to answer them moves them away from this idea of trying to know everything and kind of control the timeline and loosens them up to the possibility of just following him in a daily relationship. Jesus answered, I'm gonna read a a portion of this just to kind of begin. It's not gonna be up on the screen and you can follow along in your own translation as you would have it. But in verse four, it says, Jesus answers, watch out that no one deceives you. What a wild way to start answering their question. They said, Jesus, when is this gonna go down and how are we gonna know about it? And he leads with, don't let anybody fool you. Wait, what? A, I thought I was getting something different than that. But he, he draws them to, uh, to be attentive and alert, to be learned and perceiving. Don't get fooled. Don't be tricked. And then he moves on from there. For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All of these are the beginning of birth pains. And you might be like, whoa, that sounds like what I just saw on the news. Right? The first thing I checked this morning was my CNN or my Fox or my Reddit or something. And like all of those things, pastor... Famines, earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, wars that are actually happening, wars that just started, wars that have been prolonged, all of that stuff. And at different points, kind of in world history, you can kind of look and there's kind of flare ups and these things become more focused, more concentrated. And in the middle of it, Jesus says, Don't what? Don't be alarmed. Don't be be caught looking for all the details and trying to answer the wrong question. Don't be alarmed. See, what happens a lot of times when we start talking about Jesus' return or when we start talking about the end of the age or kind of the, the age to come is fear begins to kind of play in a lot of people's hearts and minds. And even as we would look at things going on in the world, fear can be a motivator for all kinds of unhealthy things in your life where you're looking to hoard your resources, where you're looking to just defend your own rights, where you close ranks and you become highly individually focused, but you're not kingdom-minded at all. It can be something that motivates us to hate our neighbor rather than to love our neighbor, to, to criticize and to augment our differences instead of to look for bridges and ways to build uh, uh, restored relationships. Like fear messes a lot of stuff up. And so in the middle of this, Jesus says, don't be alarmed. Don't give way to fear. Don't give way to that type of thinking. And it actually gets worse as you continue to read. In verse 9, he says, then you will be, speaking of you collectively, those who would follow him, you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death. It's like, wait a minute, Jesus, this is getting worse. You'll be hated by all nations. At that time, many will turn away from their faith. They're going to betray and hate one another. And it continues to move on from there. But what Jesus speaks in the middle of it is to not be alarmed and to not be drawn to the wrong focus. Don't be deceived. Don't be fooled. By every voice that says, I've got the secret sauce. I know what's going on. Hey, surprise, I'm Jesus. You just didn't know it was going to be me. He says, these things are going to happen. This is going to be a part of what you see, but don't be alarmed. What's really interesting, I'm going to sidebar here just for a moment. I don't know if you've ever studied kind of ebbs and flows like that in like historic timelines. If you've ever looked at either what's gone on in a nation or what's gone on in kind of a continent or a specific area in, in a, a way where you've considered, here's what's going on in a country, here's the socioeconomic pieces, here's what's going on in a human historic arc, and then laid that over church history or movements of God. But there's a very interesting thing that oftentimes happens. What you'll find is that when there are concentrated flare-ups, where there's a lot of wars, a lot of famine, a lot of the things that were just described here, Oftentimes, there is a healthy move in the people of God to be alerted to Jesus's return. That the church all of a sudden gets kind of uh, moved out of its lethargy and is like, wait a minute, it's getting bad. And I remember that when it's getting bad, I'm supposed to start thinking about Jesus's return. And what's wild is we're sitting here and it's like, well, wait, Jesus hasn't returned yet, right? And that's true. But what you, what you can find studied over kind of that arc is that when the church is alerted and reawakened to the idea that Jesus is coming, it is motivated and it is moved in a different way to participate with what God is doing. And almost always you see what is seen as a revival movement that happens somewhere in the world as a result. That it's when the people of God are reawakened to the idea that Jesus is coming, and that matters, matters so much that it changes the way that I live my life, changes the way that I posture myself to the world around me, changes the way that I steward my time and my resources, the things that I value and what I think is important, that when the church is awakened to that and is reanticipating the second advent, it moves in conjunction with the Spirit of God in a way that awakens revival in different places. It's a fascinating thing, that when you and I, if we would allow ourselves to anticipate the second advent, that we are either prepared for its actual arrival when it happens, or we are preparing for a revival to take place, then either we, the kingdom of God, gets to expand. And Jesus' whole focus with his disciples here talks to them about how to how to wait patiently his second coming. I want to give you five things that come out of chapter 24 and 25. And again, I can't go a deep dive on each one of these, so I'm going to just hit these. But if you were to read uh, the full chapter 24 and the parables that Jesus says in chapter 25, these are five things that are going to come out of how should you and I prepare ourselves for Jesus's return. The first one is to not be led astray, and Jesus leads with that. To not be led astray. We can be so hyper-focused on uh, prophecy being something that is coming to pass, or trying to discern some of the uh, apocalyptic literature in scripture, that we end up in a place where we are not attentive to what God is actually present and doing, and we're not participating with it at all. And we can even be led astray to all kinds of false types of thoughts and ideologies. And one of the things that you will find just even right now, you can get on YouTube, you can go to any number of kind of different people who are purporting to have special insight into what's going on in the world, and you will almost always land on something that should be a little red flag for you. Just whenever you hear it, you should at least take note of it. But whenever somebody says, hey, I've got the secret, I've got the special sauce to what's really going on, like that should alert you. That's not a new tactic, by the way. In fact, if you are a student of your word, if you would read the New Testament letters that Paul particularly writes to the church, there were all types of groups that were coming up with wild ideas that were contrary to the gospel, and they all kind of revolved around this idea that we've got the special spiritual insight that nobody else has. Like the secret is that Jesus is the answer. And he told everybody, and so now it's not a secret. You've all got the answer. Stick with him. The second thing that you find comes out of a parable that Jesus gives about a fig tree, and that is that the people of God are to be attentive. you're you're to be attentive. You should be thoughtful and aware of what's going on in the world around you. You should take note when there are famines and earthquakes and where there are wars and where there's geopolitical unrest and where there's social upheaval, but not so that you could be afraid and run away and protect yourself, so that you can be aware of the opportunities to partner with the Spirit of God to usher in revival and transformation in a community or a nation or a culture. It should be something that we're attentive of. He gives a a parable of the fig tree that says, just as a fig begins to bloom and you see blossoms and you know that fruit's coming, when you see these types of things, you should anticipate a move of God. The third thing, right? So don't be led astray by silliness. Be attentive and aware of what's going on so that you can be observant of the opportunity spiritually. But the third one has to do with prepare your own heart. And this links directly back to what we've been in the last four weeks, right? To prepare our hearts to receive Jesus, to prepare our hearts for his incarnation, for God with us, to receive his love, to receive his hope, to receive his peace, to receive his joy in a way that actually gets translated out into my life and makes a difference in the lives of others. There's a preparation of our hearts. There is a parable that Jesus gives in chapter 25, and it's called the parable of the 10 maidens. And they're anticipating a wedding celebration that they've been invited to. And they're all out waiting for the bridegroom to arrive, and they're outside of the premises, and they have their oil lamps. And they're all lit, and they're waiting in preparation for his arrival. And five of them just have their lamps. Five of them have their lamps and were had enough foresight to bring extra oil. Now, the timeline of when they were expecting the, the, the groom to arrive didn't need extra oil, but they prepared themselves ahead of time. And as the story unfolds, five who did not bring extra oil, their lamps go out. They have to leave to go find oil. And while they are gone and that's taking place, the bridegroom arrives. The ones who had extra oil were there and ready and got to go into the party. Okay, if you want to Fast forward it into our context, you've got a flashlight and you're waiting for somebody to show up for a surprise party and you're waiting there and you're waiting there. And then there's five that have their flashlights but they were smart enough to put extra, extra batteries in, in their pockets. But the idea and the perspective is less about the celebration and the lamp and the oil. There's significance to all of those things but it has to do with preparing yourself to be prepared. And for you and I, when it comes to uh, Jesus's arrival, we have to prepare ourselves. We have to prepare our hearts to be ready for that. One way to do that is to just accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, to receive grace and salvation. That makes his second coming something to celebrate. If you're outside of that, it makes that second coming a little bit different. And so I would encourage you to prepare your hearts. Number four comes out of a parable of the talents. And that's not your singing and dancing, America's Got Talent, Eating Fire and Gymnastics, okay? It's talents was a unit of money. Your updated scripture version would probably call it a parable of the bags of gold. And you're like, oh, bags of gold? We all seem to perk up at that one, right? But it's one of those things where uh, as you read that parable, there are servants that are entrusted with money to invest and they uh, it, do that, and they hear, well done, good and faithful servant. And the whole point of the parable is to steward what the Lord gives you well. Whatever the Lord has entrusted you with, I wanna, I wanna sit on this for just a moment. Whatever you have as a resource, your time, your money, your actual kind of, your intellect, your talent, your influence, your spheres of influence, your, your place of employment, like whatever you wanna look at, whatever God has entrusted you with to steward you will steward differently if you think about jesus coming back if you think of him being the master of those things and you are stewarding those for his glory and for his goodness for his kingdom it will change the way that you use your money it'll change the way that you use your time it will change the way that you treat people it will change the way that you choose your career trajectory all of that stuff changes in light of jesus being the owner of that and so in the waiting, in the idea of anticipating his return, then I begin to steward my life well as a result of that. And then the last one uh, is a parable of the sheep and the goats. And in, uh, famously, Jesus says, if you cared for the least of these, then you cared for me. And the whole point of that parable, and it can be a very, very challenging one because it gets to brass tacks. How are you going to treat people and how are you going to actually live your life? It is to be about the kingdom of God. That if you and I, if we're going to prepare ourselves well in the waiting for Jesus' return, we're not going to be led astray by silly ideas. We're going to be attentive to what's going on in the world around us, looking for opportunities to be used by God. We're going to prepare our own heart to receive him. We're going to steward our life well in response to him. And we're going to look to care for the least of these around us. Those are the answers that Jesus gives to the when is this gonna happen and how am I gonna know? He says, no, 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 this is how you're going to live because this is true. And one of the interesting things is in verse 36 of chapter 24, and we're gonna close in just a moment after this. In verse 36, Jesus says something really interesting. I'm gonna read this to you. He says, no one knows about that day or hour not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. I don't know if you've ever read that or if you've ever actually thought that through, but what Jesus is saying here is that the answer to when is this going to happen definitively and what are all the details about it, he doesn't even know. It's a wild thought that God the Father, God the Son, the, God, the Holy Spirit, that the triune God, that Jesus has limited himself of that knowledge purposely. And bridge that with John chapter 14. When Jesus is getting ready to depart, when he knows that his time is coming. John 14, 15, 16, 17, it's the night that he's betrayed. He celebrates Passover. He washes his disciples' feet. It's the last whole collective of teaching he gives them, focused a lot on the Holy Spirit before he goes to the cross. And he opens in verse four with this. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you Look at this, that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. This is a wild thought for me. There is a second advent, right? Jesus' return, that I am to prepare for his arrival. And I'm to live my life in such a way that I'm ready for that and I'm actively a part of what he's doing before that takes place. But what we just read describes a heavenly advent. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. Have you ever thought about this? Jesus is anticipating your arrival. And he doesn't even know when that is. The same type of anticipation, the same type of joy, the same type of preparation, the same type of, is this it? That you and I, that when we are healthy and when we're full of life and full of joy and we're focused on the Lord, that that is the way that he anticipates you. It's the reason why when when Jesus is talking about people coming to, to salvation, why he says that all of heaven rejoices at the repent of one sinner. Only the Father knows the day and the hour. The angels are in anticipation. Jesus himself is in anticipation of every person who comes to salvation and everyone who would come to his prepared arrival for them. What a wild thought. See, there's, there's a fear sometimes that comes in at the second coming of Jesus, where we feel like we're not gonna measure up, where we feel like we gotta get all of our stuff together, where we feel like somehow we've gotta go into a performance review to see if we make it in. Like, that's a lot of people's perspective. It's the reason why they recoil from the idea of Jesus' return. But man, Jesus isn't coming to take an inventory like that. He's anticipating bringing you home. He's anticipating your arrival as much as we should be in anticipation of his church family if you'd stand worship team if you would come forward we're going to close with a few thoughts and i want to pray for you this morning with the same joy with the same anticipation that you prepared for celebrating christmas my hope would be that you begin to cultivate that same type of joy, that same type of anticipation when you have thoughts about Jesus' return. That rather than those being mysteries or rather than those being things that fear looks to hijack and twist, rather of those being something that would be convenient to put aside, that there would be something of, of life-giving joy that enters into you when you think about Jesus' return, that you would begin to live in the way that he would encourage us, that, that we wouldn't be falling for foolish ideas, and the secret sauce that somebody else has, that we would be looking to be attentive to what's going on in the world around us, and not, not because we need to be know-it-alls, and not because we need to be afraid of what's going on in the world, but we need to be cognizant of what is taking place so that we can see opportunities to partner with Jesus and what he would do to bring hope and life and forgiveness and transformation. That as we would prepare for his his return, that there would be something where we're preparing our own hearts, where we're inviting him to save us, to cleanse us, to change us. That we would be motivated to steward our lives differently. That my money, my stuff, my time, my goals, my, the things that I have, that those things would, would all be kind of changed in the way that I look at them and the way that I use them when I begin to see them as stewarding them for God's glory, for his kingdom, partnering with him and what he would do in the time that I'm here. That I would hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Not because that I have performed well, but because I have stewarded what he has given me well for his kingdom that ultimately in the day-to-day that we would care for the least of these that we would just be about the very simple graces of the kingdom of God when I ask you to close your eyes for just a moment I want you to entertain this question how would your daily life change if you kept the return of Christ in mind if you just on occasion remember Jesus is returning Jesus is returning, so I'm gonna pay attention to what's going on. Jesus is returning, so I'm gonna make sure that my heart is prepared. Jesus is returning, so I'm gonna steward what I have well for his kingdom. Jesus is returning, so I'm gonna care like crazy for the people around me. How, how would your life change if you kept that return in mind? Lord, would you bring that back to our attention? Would you awake us from our spiritual lethargy? Lord, that there would be an excitement and anticipation in your people of your return. Because we don't have anything to fear in that. That we don't have to recoil from your presence. That we don't have to somehow run and hide from the world around us. Lord, that even as we would see at times flare up of things devolving into violence and chaos in the world around us that we don't have to be alarmed that we don't have to be anxious Jesus you're the Alpha and the Omega you're the beginning and the end you're the first and the last you are in control of these things and so Lord we live with that confidence and we anticipate your return we anticipate you're coming again and we would echo John's words come Lord Jesus And at the same time, Lord, we are filled with joy at the thought that you are preparing a place for us. That you have an anticipation to bring us to you, to restore us to you. Lord, that even lost hearts here this morning that are yet to profess their faith in you, you are anticipating the joy of their salvation. You are anticipating celebrating them. Holy Spirit right now, work on those hearts that they would respond in faith and in humility to you, Jesus, and to receive forgiveness and salvation. We've prepared for weeks to celebrate your birth. We have our own preparation, Lord, in anticipation of this new year, but even beyond that, we anticipate your return. Come, Lord Jesus, and make a difference in us today That we would live differently as a result of that truth in Jesus name amen amen all right three action steps for you to consider this week the first one is just to begin to consider how you will prepare yourself daily to receive Jesus Jesus if you're coming back today here's how I want to respond in that way and then two practical questions for you as you go into this into this new year the first one is this what are you going to bring with you 2023 that you carry into 2024 I'm I'm relearning what it means to have the joy of the Lord I'm planning on taking that with me into 2024 and then at the same time what is something in 2023 that you're going to just choose to leave there calendar year is closed you're going to leave that behind happy new year